Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Obviously, Pastor Stan is not here, and this is because uh, he is in Macedonia with the team, so be sure to go to our Facebook page. If you haven't liked it, like it, and look at some of the updates. Uh, I think our team has actually been a very big encouragement to our brothers and sisters there since um, they are the only Christians there. And so that's a different world for us, and so pray that the team that lives there um, is receiving what the Lord intends to give them this week, and that our team would be a blessing to them. And so with that, Pastor San has asked me to preach for him, and so we are going to be in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, so if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along with me, and I will read the Scriptures for us. Hear the words of God. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And Jesus sternly warned him and immediately sent him away, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your infinite mercy. We thank you that upon this poor leper's request, you were moved with compassion and extended to him mercy. God, give us your words today. By the power of your spirit, give to each of us what we need to hear. Encourage our hearts this morning, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us for the last month and a half or so, we have been trekking through the gospel of Mark. Um, We started the sermon series, I think, right at the end of August, and we will be in the gospel of Mark um, for at least another year, I think. And so... Um, I teach a class on Sunday mornings with Chad and Billy, if you know them, and we like to trek through Gospels about four years at a time. So um, the fact that we'll only be in Mark for a year is, is good. So what we have today is another encounter of Jesus' healing power. If you recall earlier, Dr. Hank preached a sermon where Jesus went into the synagogue that was there in Capernaum, and there was a man who was demon-possessed. It was actually the unclean spirit who recognized Jesus. And then Jesus told him to be silent. He called that unclean spirit out of the man and he came out. Moments later, Mark records for us another healing episode where Jesus is with Peter and Andrew. They go to Peter's house, also known as Simon. And Simon's mother-in-law is sick. The disciples make this known to Jesus, and Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. After that, Mark records, then people obviously were hearing about what Jesus is doing, and so they're bringing people to Jesus. 
And so now we come to this episode where the first time recorded in Mark's gospel, we actually have somebody giving a personal request to Jesus to heal. And as I was reading this passage the last week or so, I I just keep being struck by his simple statement, if you are willing. If you are willing. Now, I'm quite sure that this is a statement of faith. I'm quite sure that this leper knew Jesus had the power to heal him. Because if he didn't, he would have said, well, if you're able, you can heal me. He says, no, if you are willing. But I think there's another side to the statement, if you are willing, that reveals to the reader that this leper has true faith, even if it's in its infancy. This little statement, if you are willing, reveals not only that he knows that Jesus has the power to heal, but he also somehow knows, if only a little bit, that Jesus owes him nothing. If you are willing. This poor leper is desperate. He is beseeching Jesus. He says, if you are willing, and I can only see this as such a humbling state that this leper is in. He recognizes that he knows his poor and pitiable condition. Everybody else around him, as we're going to learn in a moment, knows it as well. And if there's anything that Jesus loves to respond to, it's to humility. It's to those who recognize their lowly estate. So for example, if you go into Luke's gospel, he records for us a parable of the Pharisee and the publican. A publican is a tax collector. In the 18th chapter of his gospel, Luke tells us that Jesus told this parable for men who thought too much of themselves, men who thought they had what God wanted. And if you're not familiar, a Pharisee was a respected religious leader in the Jewish community at that time. In my first church that I worked at in Arizona back in 2003, when I first entered into ministry, Pastor Rick Lemberg was our senior minister And Rick would say, Ben, if the Pharisee was following you on the road and you dropped your wallet, the Pharisee would be sure to pick it up and give it right back to you. We're going to learn that the Pharisees fasted pretty regularly. They tithed everything. These were men that we would probably want as our neighbors. They were law-abiding citizens truly seeking to abide by and fulfill the law as is contained in the Old Testament. This is how they were viewed among those in their community. The publican, that is the tax collector on the other hand, they were some of the most despised men in the Jewish community. They were tax collectors, which meant they worked for Rome and the Jews hated Rome. And so what the, Rome, the Roman government would do, they would employ these tax collectors, these Jewish men to go collect taxes from the Jews And Rome would say, you owe us this much, but anything you can eke out of those people after you've given us our money, you can line your pockets with. And so if you know the story of Zacchaeus, he was a very rich man. He was also a wee little man, and now that stuck in my head, if you've ever heard the Zacchaeus was a wee little man song. He was a rich man because he got rich through exploiting the poor. So this is the parable that Jesus is going to tell. So in the parable, Jesus says, these two men went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood and was praying. This is oftentimes how the Jews in the first century would pray, with their hands up and their eyes to the heavens. 
This was common. And so the Pharisee says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and tax collectors. I fast twice a week. All that was required in the Old Testament was one day of fasting in the year. That's, that's the only that was required. You can read that back in the Old Testament. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes of all that I get. Then Jesus says, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, he can't even get too close to the temple. Remember, the temple is representative of the presence of God. He was unwilling to lift his eyes to the heavens, Jesus says, but he was beating his breast, a sign of mourning, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Friends, Jesus is not impressed with the Pharisee's prayer, and do you know why? It's because the Pharisee is consumed with the unrighteousness of his neighbor. That's how he has to feel better about himself. This is the hallmark of people who do not have faith. They're so enamored with the unrighteousness of their neighbor that they're blinded to the stain of sin and evil on their own hearts and on their own minds, thinking of themselves higher than they ought. But the publican, Jesus, is impressed with his prayer. His is a prayer of faith. His prayer reveals that he can see his own unrighteousness. And the only way you can see that is by looking to the absolute holiness and purity of God himself. Which is why the publican has no claim to the kindness or forgiveness of God. He simply pleads with God for mercy. God, have mercy on me, sinner. You see, friend, this tax collector, his cry for mercy and this poor leper is beseeching Jesus to heal him if he's willing, these cries are one and the same. They're both the cries of faith, and they're both cries that Jesus is pleased to respond to. If you go on further in that parable, Jesus says it was the publican, it was the tax collector. He was the one who went to his house justified. That word justified means he was the one who was declared righteous before God. And now to the leper, what does Jesus do? He is moved with compassion. You guys know what that word in Greek actually or translates into? From the bowels. It's intended to convey Jesus felt something. So moved with compassion, he stretches his arm out. But before we consider Jesus' compassion and his great mercy towards this leper, let's consider the leper's condition. And the way we do this is by going back into the Old Testament in the third book of Scripture, which is the book of Leviticus. I'm sure you've all read it with delight. <clears throat> Beginning in chapter 13 of the book of Leviticus, God gives to Moses some instructions regarding, of how, regarding how priests are to diagnose skin diseases. We translate that word as leprosy. Now, in the course of this chapter, God lists to Moses about nine symptoms, four primary symptoms, five secondary symptoms of what was probably a variety of skin diseases. When we think leprosy, um, many commentators would deny that they were speaking exclusively of what we know as Hansen's disease, which is the worst form, okay? It could have been and probably was included in that list and could have turned into that, but when we hear leprosy, it wasn't speaking exclusively of that. It would have just been certain skin conditions that anybody could have um, gotten. And so, this, the, so Moses was getting these instructions from God to learn how to diagnose, how the priest would diagnose somebody with this variety of skin diseases. 
So when a priest was diagnosing a person who was said to have one of these rashes, he was to pronounce that person clean or unclean on the basis of that diagnosis. And of course, the tragedy of being called unclean is given to us at the end of chapter 13 in Leviticus. Here's what God says to Moses about anybody who has one of these diseases. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, you all know, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside of the camp. So if we were the camp and one of you was diagnosed, the priest would declare you unclean if it was real and you would be cast out of the camp. Friends, the book of Leviticus, it's a difficult book for us. Not just because there's such a historical and cultural gap, but primarily because there's a holiness gap between our unholiness and God's supreme holiness. If you remember, after God saved his people out of Egypt, he took them obviously here into the wilderness because they were going to travel to the land of promise. What God had to do was implement and set up the true and proper worship of his people. And in the book of Leviticus, you read all these things that are so foreign to us. This was God's gracious provision for his people to meet with him, to be in his presence. So the major theme of the book of Leviticus is found in chapter 11, where God says, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I am holy. Therefore, you be holy. Jesus reiterates his statement in the Gospels. And so it's certainly the case that we as modern readers have difficulty understanding some of these ceremonial rituals and laws, but again, we get uncomfortable with it because it reveals to us our need. We are unholy. And so friends, the leper who is here at Jesus' feet beseeching him, he is unclean. He is very aware of his unholiness, as is everybody around him, because the law required him to make it known to everybody that he was unholy. And here's the difficult part. A person could be unholy or unclean, in his case of leprosy, and it wasn't the direct response to any formal sin that he committed against God. And so how are we to understand having this dreadful disease? Leprosy was simply a reminder that his whole being was under the corruption and decay of sin. Leprosy was a reminder to the people, not that this leper probably did something really, really bad, but simply that the curse continues to loom over us and make us unholy. And so unfortunately, because he was unclean, he was kicked out of the camp. At the center of the camp, there was the tabernacle, if you remember, and in the tabernacle was to concentrate the presence of God. And if you were unclean or unholy, you had to be cast out of the presence of God. Why? Because sin cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. It cannot no defilement can enter into the presence of God. And so while some would suggest that the leper was thrown out so he didn't contaminate anybody else, I think that is true, but that's only a secondary reason. The reason that he couldn't be there is because he couldn't defile the most holy place. He couldn't get into that place because God cannot be in his presence. And unfortunately for him, sin, that is, his leprosy was represent, represented death. This was his reality, friends. Imagine if you were that man cast out of the camp 
And so here he is crying out, Jesus, if you are willing, beseeching him on his knees. He wanted desperately to be free from the trappings of sin and impurity. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, if you've ever gone to those videos, IamSecond.com. I am second, Jesus is first. The wonderful videos of the restoration that Jesus brings. One of the videos I saw years ago uh, by I am second was put out um, of a woman by the name of Annie, I believe her last name is Lobert, and she shares her story. As a young girl, she and her sisters um, witnessed regularly her father's anger and contempt and how he abused their mother. Annie interpreted her father's anger and rage as, as a, she had something personally to do with it. In another video interview that I watched with her earlier this week, she said that oftentimes as a child, she wished that she was adopted by another family. And then she felt guilty for even thinking that. Well, anyway, anyway at, at the onset of her teenage years, she began a deep, deep rebellion, and she began seeking the attention of men in unhealthy ways. Towards her late teens and early 20s, she began working three jobs. She was trying to just make a living and put herself through college. But one day she received a call from one of her girlfriends who was living in Hawaii and her friend had shared with her, look, I'm driving a car that you and I would have only dreamed of driving and I have a lot of extra money in my wallet. Why don't you come out here and join me? Well, Annie moved to Hawaii and she began a 16-year journey in a profession and in an industry that sucks the life out of every person who participates in it. Her journey took her deeper and deeper into darkness. At one point on the 16-year journey, she was stricken with Hodgkin's lymphoma. She started um, taking cancer treatment, doing uh, all that. And in the midst of that, she was still using her body to earn a living. And in those dark moments, men would make fun of her because her hair was falling out. They were using her body, obviously, off for some awful things. She was verbally and physically abused uh, by men who owned her. She developed an addiction to the painkillers and then eventually to cocaine. And at one point in time, she recounts sitting in these filthy motels, consumed with thoughts, about how angry God must be at her. And then she would say, I'd get in the shower and I would scrub and I would scrub and I would scrub and I could never feel clean. One night in one of her drug binges, she describes that she fell back. Everything went dark. She could feel the presence and the powers of darkness. And she said she had this vision that she was dead and she was looking into her own casket and people were coming by and they would look in the casket and they would say, she's only a prostitute. She was just a prostitute. And then she said, out of nowhere in this vision, I just screamed out. I just cried, Jesus, save me. If you're real, Jesus, save me. Moments later, she said, I woke up from this slumber or whatever I was in, and the doctor said to me, young lady, you have so many drugs in your body. You should be dead. And he says, God must be with you. I'm inclined to believe that Annie and the leper cried the same cry. 
They both knew the feeling of desperation and loneliness and isolation as a result of sin. And they both knew the feeling of uncleanness that the cleansing of a bath or a shower did not have any power to alleviate. And in both cases, especially as we see here in the scripture, Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, the obedient Son of the Father, the spotless Lamb of God, in whom there is no defilement, he doesn't take a step back. He moves forward. And he stretches out his hand to the leper, and he says, I am willing, be cleansed. Brothers and sisters, this God whose very holiness requires absolute purity and sinlessness to be in his presence did not consume the leper in judgment, nor did he consume Annie in judgment, but rather touched him and moved towards him and made him clean. The compassion of Jesus led to a divine act of mercy. When I consider all of God's attributes, one of the first usually that I consider is his attribute of goodness. We have a hard time seeing God's goodness, not because he isn't good, but because you and I see so dimly. In Psalm 136, the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy is everlasting. Peter, in his letter to the church, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's mercy is the outpouring of his goodness and it denotes his ready inclination to alleviate the pain and suffering of his creatures. In Psalm 145, the psalmist declares that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great in loving kindness, and that his mercy are all over his creation. So if you consider just a few things, anytime a small rodent digs a burrow underground or an elephant finds a water hole to find reprieve from the heat. Did you not know that this is the mercy of God to his creatures? If you've ever been administered morphine for your immediate pain to alleviate that pain, did you not know that this is a sign of God's mercy? Did you not know that here in Wichita, any hungry person can go to the Lord's diner and receive a hot meal and that is an act of God's divine mercy? And so now here for this leper, this man who's been isolated, away from his family, away from the community of God, away from the worship of God, the Lord in his compassion moves towards that leper and touches him and heals him, resulting in his healing and restoration that frees the leper to do something, to do the very thing he was created for. At the end of that, Chapter, I'm sorry, at the end of that, verse 44, Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what was commanded as a testimony to them. We have to go back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 14 now, because this is what was prescribed if you were one of these lepers. So if they got word that one of these lepers there in the wilderness was healed, they couldn't come back into the camp because they were unclean to show the priest. So the priest would have to go out and inspect them. And so when the priest would go out and inspect them and say, okay, yes, uh, you are healed, what the priest would have to do is now engage in a ceremony of purification. The ceremony would include two birds, cedar wood, scarlet string, and hyssop. So there's the cultural gap, friends. 
And so then they were going to perform that ceremony, and then he was supposed to shave all his hair, it says. And so he would do that. The priest would say, you could come back into the camp, but he could not go into his tent. He had to sleep outside of his tent for seven days. The Lord created everything in six. He rested on the seventh. This idea of seven is oftentimes an indication of completion. His purification was complete after seven days. And on the eighth day, which in scriptures is a a day of new beginnings, the, the male child was to be circumcised on the eighth day. On the eighth day, the leper was able now to bring his offerings to God. He was able now to worship God. I know it sounds funny to us, but one of the, the, first, the first question on the Westminster Catechism is, uh, for what, what is man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. The worship of God is what gives us our greatest joy. And so now his greatest joy, that is the leper's, was that he was brought back into the worship and fellowship with God himself. And so you see, friends, Jesus healing this man from leprosy, we see it and say, oh, now he's rid of his disease. That he is, and we rejoice in that. But even greater, he is now in communion with his God. He is now brought back into proper worship of God. And he can do that. The leper would probably find this out after our Lord died, and all these things began to be revealed to us about what Jesus was going to do for us. And so the leper, obviously his response, he can't help himself. He goes and cries from the mountains. He disobeyed Jesus, so he wasn't a good disciple yet, all right? The Lord told him not to go out yet, all right? But he did, and we can all sympathize with him, right? While we shouldn't disobey if our Lord asks, we should share in his enthusiasm to go and declare to the world of this powerful, compassionate, and merciful healer named Jesus. In the last week or so, I'm sure many of you have seen this video that's been circulating of the compassion and mercy of Jesus extended to Amber Geiger. She was the woman who on September 18th killed Botham Jean. On October 1st of this year, um, she was found guilty of murder. Um, you should read the story, but in the court, Botham's brother, Brant, was there. Brant is probably 17, 18, 19, a young man, and he's sitting there in court before everybody. The judge is over here. That woman, Amber, is over there. And um, Brant looks over to this woman who killed his brother and says, the best thing you could do is follow Jesus Christ. This is what my brother would have wanted. It's what I want. I love you, and I don't wish any harm on you. And then he does what Jesus always does when Jesus heals. Brant looks to the judge and says, can I give her a hug? And he comes out from behind the seat, and he comes, and you can see She's just desperate. She just wraps his arm, her arms around him and she just bawls. He touched her. The woman who killed his brother. Friends, this is the mercy and compassion of our Lord on display for the world to see. I don't know how much longer later it was, but the judge 
gave the woman a Bible. And our atheist friends are in a roar over this. But this is exactly what Jesus said would happen when we do that. Brothers and sisters, in that moment, Brant was declaring to this woman the same thing the leper was declaring to the world. He was declaring that those of us who have been recipients of the divine compassion and mercy of Jesus now declare the divine compassion and mercy of Jesus to the world. And we've now become givers of that divine compassion and mercy. This is the call of a Christian. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good to us. We thank you for this divine mercy as an extension of your goodness. Lord Jesus, we are grateful to hear that you feel compassion. And in your compassion, you move towards us. We admit, Lord, like the leper, we are unclean. We admit, Lord, like the tax collector in the parable, that we need mercy. That cry of desperation, Lord, that Annie Lober cried out, we cry it out too. Jesus, save us. Oh God, have mercy on us. Thank you, Lord, that you are good to us. Renew our hearts this morning. Remind us, Lord, of the assurance that we have in Jesus, this gracious and merciful, powerful healer who moves towards those who cry for mercy. Father, we thank you also for the opportunity to give these tithes and offerings. We do so out of the abundance of love that we now have for you in the knowledge of what you have done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And so use these tithes and offerings, Lord, to further advance the cause of the proclamation of your mercy and compassion to the world. And use it, Lord, to care for the poor and the sick and the weak, those in prison. Thank you, Jesus. You are good to us. We pray this in your name. Amen.